Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Hey there, and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. My name is Jason Davies, and I am here with you today for the next hour or so because I know you're not going to want to miss a moment of this one. This is an amazing episode that we have here. I am interviewing Monica and Marie from the Scoodles Assessment. Some of you may have heard of the Scoodles Assessment. For others, this may be the first time you are hearing the silly word that is school and doodles put together to create an occupational therapy assessment called the Scoodles. You're not going to want to miss a second of this one because we are discussing the classroom skills as well as the support skills that the Scoodles assessment tool addresses for occupational therapists. I am actually pretty new to the schools myself. I've only used it a handful of times, but I'm looking forward to using it more in the future. And I know you will too after hearing this interview. Not only are we going to get a quick introduction, actually a pretty extensive introduction into the Scoodles today, we're also going to quickly review the difference between a standardized and non-standardized assessment tool for anyone who's been out of school, I don't know, maybe more than five years and just needs a little refresher on this. It actually really helped me, so I'm happy that uh, Marie shared that with me. So let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Marie Frank and Monica Fortunato. They are both occupational therapists and sisters. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Marie. Welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Jason. How are you? I'm doing pretty darn well. This is a Sunday afternoon. I'm enjoying myself. And we just had a dog walk. So the dog's happy. I'm happy. The wife is happy. Everyone's happy. So we're all good. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Monica? Uh, I'm doing great, Jason. It's great to be here with you. And just want to say thank you for everything that you do for school-based OTs. You are just pumping out the info, and it's great to be a part of that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, we're on about episode 75-ish now, and it's just amazing. We've been able to have so many great conversations with OTs, and I love it. So let's go ahead and jump into it a little bit today. We are talking about the tool that you all have developed, written, authored, which is on the fourth edition now, the Scoodles Fine Motor Assessment Tool. And we're going to get into all of that today. But first, I'd love to hear about how you kind of got to where you are as an occupational therapist today. So Marie, would you like to kind of share a little bit about your OT background? Sure. I've been an occupational therapist for over 20 years, and I actually started this with another occupational therapist. I felt really disorganized. I can be very disorganized myself, and going into assessments, I would actually be in the assessment trying to come up with scissors or, or a shape to cut or or something like that, and it, and it didn't feel good to me. And the other thing that didn't feel kind of good to me was I would use the bot, and which is a great tool, but I wasn't feeling like I was getting enough information to speak intelligently about the student or get enough information to identify the need that the student had. So we got together. Amy Wing was the other therapist. She's awesome. And we started that about 17 years ago. I thought initially it was going to take about three months to put together, and it took a lot longer than that because the more I dug in, the more I found I needed to dig in. (laughs) And so it took a while longer than that. And then about six years ago, Amy dropped off and Monica joined. And Monica's my sister, so this works out perfectly for us to have a business together. And Monica brought a whole new skill set to the operation, let's say. And it's growing wonderfully because of Monica's expertise and ideas. So, Oh, thank you, sis. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll, I have to jump in real quick and then I'll let you go, Monica. I just love it because my family's also an OT family. My older sister's oh. an OT. Um, and that's how I really came to find out about occupational therapy. My sister is about six years older than me. And so by the time I was kind of heading into college, I was volunteering with her at a pediatric clinic and really learning about OT and then got to college and that was the end of it. OT. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, Monica, what about you? What has your OT career kind of looked like? Well, I, like Maria, have been an OT for a long time. I actually was an OT before she was and convinced her what a great profession occupational therapy was. Yep. If you were an OT, you would love it. You'd be so good. And then 
when I started a family and then took a few years off and when I wanted to go back to work, Marie at that point was a school-based OT and said, you should be a school-based OT. You'll love it. You'd be so good. So I went into school-based OT and that's when I started using Scoodles, you know, just taking it with me. And um, my first few months as a school-based OT, Marie gave me a lot of confidence. And, you know, every day on my drive home, I would call her and ask her questions. And as I started to use Scoodles, I, I was thinking of ways to make it better. Like, oh, we could add this, or what if we explored this area? And Marie loves research so much that she was doing the research and then I was like the boots on the ground trying things. And that's how we actually came up with the fourth edition, which is the actual manual. We doubled in size, added a lot more student workbook pages. And um, and we'll talk a little bit more about everything that's um, in schools in just a minute. But that we just our interchange. I mean, my even though we're not twins, our mother says we're like twins, that we read each other's mind. I don't know if that's true or not, but we work really well together and feel like we, we've come up with something really great. That's funny. I, I like what you said about how you just kind of were using it. And then you're like, hey, Marie, what's, what if we did this? Because <laughs> I think every OT has been doing an assessment and been like, man, I, if I can make one change, this is what I'd want to do. If only I could contact the author and be like, hey, can we do it this way instead? <laughs> so uh, how nice it was that you just so happened to know the author of the assessment you were using. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Awesome. And now you are a part of it, which is amazing. So before we jump too far into this, how and why... Well, we're going to jump into all the how and why, but before we get too far deep into it, why don't you just briefly give an overview of what the Scoodles is? Okay, it's a Scoodles is a performance slash uh, observation based systematic assessment that uses age levels for over twenty skills to determine whether a student is delayed for his age, but it also looks qualitatively at how a student moves through a set of activities. So you're with each activity, you're looking at a whole set and range of components to that activity, which I'm sure every OT does anyway, but we kind of uh, organized it for ourselves and for others. And it's broken down into two separate components. It's broken down into classroom skills, which are the skills that teachers talk about and parents talk about, handwriting, coloring, cutting, those skills, and then supporting skills. So the the underlying skills that are needed to produce skilled fine motor work. So things like core strength and strong arm and hand muscles and balance and those kinds of things that, that, and that's what I was digging into. (laughs) When I was building it, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much that goes into handwriting. It's crazy. (laughs) Right. And then the observations kind of build on each other, which with each task that you look at, you kind of confirm or reject each theory that you might have in your head about why something might be happening with that student. And then, yeah, okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say something else, but go ahead. I'm sure we will get into everything. We have a lot of questions. I'm so happy for everyone that's listening. This is going to be great. Before we get too far in, though, as I actually want to ask, why Scoodles? Obviously, this is a school assessment, so I understand the school part of it, but who came up with Scoodles? Okay, Amy and I love whimsy and fun, and we didn't want some stodgy name. So we um, we were messing around with words and and we took scoodle school and doodles and put those two words together. And um, when when Monica joined me, I asked her if she wanted to change it and she said no. She liked it, so that's kind of stuck and and it's mispronounced constantly. But I guess that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I don't even know if you notice, but I accidentally, when we put our notes together, I had accidentally typed it as school with the L and then D-L-E-S, and I had to change it. But even me, I, it's so it's got school in it. And so I put the whole school word in there. I've since changed it. It is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Marie, S-C-H-O-O-D-L-E-S, correct? That's exactly it. Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> That'll help you find their website when you're going to look for this later. <laughs> we're not schnoodles is we're end up with sometimes, which are adorable little dogs, but it's not us. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. 
So, uh, Marie, I'm going to, I think this is going to be for you as well, because you were kind of, you and Amy originally developed this. You yeah. said you developed this, I think it was around 17 years ago, I think you said it was? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And just for people who are in my age realm, we grew up with so much internet. And like now we all have Canva. We could easily make a quick little task to print out and cut. But 17 years ago, you said you thought it was going to take you three months and it ended up taking you a lot longer. So if you could even just kind of talk a little bit about that development of what, that you guys went through. Yeah, you bring up a really good point that I hadn't thought about for a long time, but you're right. We didn't have all these fancy tools. But Amy was a graphic artist and a communication specialist before she was an occupational therapist and her husband was a marketing uh, person. And so they had those skills and we used very expensive computer program to put together a lot of this, the graphics and the, the, the things like the puzzles, which are something you can easily find on the internet now. So, but we did, I did a lot of research at one of the colleges that I lived near and then some on the, on the internet as well. So that's how we kind of hold it together that way. And that, I guess that's where we came up with the new additions too. We thought we kept finding more information that we needed to add, to make it um, current. So. <clears throat> yeah. And that's great because I don't think anything is ever completely finished. And as we all know, as occupational therapists, kids' skills are changing probably at least every decade. The averages have to be, the norms have to be changing a little bit. I mean, kids are going to school earlier and earlier. Things are changing, technology versus no technology, how much all of that's going on. And so it's great that you've been able to keep updating it and that Monica has helped you with this now fourth edition. So let's go ahead and jump into a little bit of the specifics. and. What were the key areas you really wanted to focus in on when it came to creating this assessment? You know, we were looking at handwriting because that's where you get all your referrals, right? Basically. <laughs> Always handwriting. So, of course, that's what we wanted to pick apart, handwriting and those classroom skills, because that's not what was in the standardized test that we were using. So I was constantly trying to marry what the bot was telling me or what the VMI was telling me or what the Peabody was telling me with what I was trying to sort out in the classroom. So that's kind of where we, what led us is what are we seeing in the classroom and what do we really need to be looking at with kids in school? Because some of those assessments were for clinic-based work. Mm -hmm. They were developed for clinic-based work. So, so that's, that's kind of where we went with it. And then, and then it seemed like a natural thing to do to break it into those two parts of classroom skills, the, the very, very identifiable things to teachers and parents, and then the, everything that's OT related or what we look at it and what gives us efficacy, I guess, when we're speaking about it with one another and then in, in, a, in an IEP. Um, and, and then we can explain those things to parents and teachers and administrators. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Always advocating for ourselves a little bit right? whenever we can. Constant. Gotcha. Half our job is salespeople, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, Marie, you, you told me half my job was telling people what I wasn't going to do. <laughs> it's true, too. It's true too. You know, what I what I would add to what Marie is saying is that, you know, we go to these IEP meetings and we want to tell a story and explain something to a parent or to the teacher, but mainly to the parent in a way that makes sense to the parent. And um, what Schoodles provides is it helps us tell the story. We have these work samples that the student produced that we can share and that has a real life, applies to the real life situation of a student and what they're expected to do in the classroom. And, you know, just the age ranges, um, which I know we'll talk about in a minute, but being able to compare how the student is functioning to the typical age range. I think that makes sense to parents in a way that, um, and teachers, in a way that maybe just a standardized score doesn't. So, so I think just Scoodles helps tell the story of the child and why they're struggling, where they're struggling and why they're struggling in a way that. So I, I actually like the bot a little bit more than Marie does. So, so we, <laughs> we can talk about that. So, I mean, I use it. So, um, but those two things together work really well for me. That's great to hear, actually, because I can see, you know, people try to get, I mean, we almost get stuck in our ways. We find an assessment tool that we use and we tend to go back to that assessment tool. 
And it's hard to keep up with new assessments or maybe not even new, but just assessments that maybe your friend is using across the country and they recommend the schools, they recommend the M fund, they recommend a different assessment that you never heard of. And it takes some energy to learn a new assessment. But but that's great that you can find assessments that kind of work together a little bit. So Monica, you actually kind of started down. So we'll just continue on with that. What is the age range for the Scoodles? Um, it's typically starts at age three. So the, we start with basic skills like tracing and um, design imitation, you know, that is more of a preschool. And, you know, most of the tasks, if you're looking at kids who are in general education, it would like be up through fourth or fifth grade. I use parts of it for middle school or high school students, for students that are in um, special day classes who maybe are functioning at a lower level, you can definitely use Scoodles to assess where are they as uh, far as their developmental levels. So the age range typically is age three through fourth, fifth grade, but I've used it all the way up to 18-year-olds. Yeah, and I think we all have kind of gone above the cap, if you want to call it that, for assessment tools for that same exact reason. For kids who are a little bit more severe in needs and, yeah, it's still appropriate to kind of understand where their skills are. So that makes sense. But like you said, I think so around the fourth, fifth grade level for a gen ed kid, student typical developing no IEP, they might, they should be able to basically get good scores across the board. Exactly. Right. And one more qualifier for the schools, you know, on the downside of it, on the three-year-old side, the three-year-old would have to be able to follow some directions to be able to get useful information <laughs> off of the Scoodles assessment. And if they can't, then, you know, you default to the, the Peabody and keep going <laughs> down from there, I guess. Right. But, but yeah, so I often get that question when I'm talking to therapists and they, they're wondering about Scoodles. So yeah, they have to be able to kind of follow directions. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I'll speak to that actually, because, well, first of all, I love that it starts at three because that is your typical preschool age entrance for most kids, right? Three years old, that's when they're first going to move over from an IFSP if they have one into a potential IEP preschool level. So that's great that it starts right then, kind of goes along with the name Scoodles. So your second point, like you said, the kids need to have some ability to attend. These tasks are functional. And I experienced this firsthand. Marie and Monica were so kind to send me a copy of the Scoodles. And I did it recently, probably not to the full extent that I probably could have, because just like what Marie was saying, these kids were in that three to four age range. But diagnosis that they had, the ability to attend, especially over a computer, made that very difficult. I spent a lot of time trying to teach the task to the parent and then have the parent teach the task to the child. But that's, that's tough. I mean, and in this case, particular case, it was a foster parent who had only had the kids for a short period of time, which you can imagine any assessment that would be a little tricky. But yeah, no, I, I really love it, though. I've had my hands on it and been looking at the manual, and I really appreciate some of the things that, that they've put into it. I'm going to ask them in just a second, actually, to share some examples of what you might find when you open up the Scoodles. But first, I want to ask, we're in the fourth edition now. How has the Scoodles changed from first, second, third? Did it skip an edition? I don't know. <laughs> or where are we at? How did that go? It's basically the same tool that we started with originally with what that Amy and I put together. And over, you know, we kept wanting to make it a little better and add a few more things and add more evidence. So so what we've ended up with now, you know, since the first, second and and the third was pretty good. But but when Monica joined, we wanted to kind of redesign some of it and add some more like classroom observations, teacher questionnaires, goal. We added a goal writing template. Let's see, what else did we add? We had, oh, and then most recently we added an online version when this was before the pandemic. We had a, a large uh, school district asked uh, us, you know, how, how they could purchase our, our tool, but they wanted some more control over it. So we ended up adding a membership which we have just loved because we can add 
add all kinds of new stuff. We can change things based on what therapists think and tell us, and we can add new tools to that membership without having to, you know, add another addition. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's evolved. It's evolving. It's still evolving. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And you know, back to that whole, you know, technology has changed the world and things that you can do now mm-hmm. are, are nice. You're right. I mean, you can add something because, well, you don't have to send out a whole new book or whatever. If you change one thing, it can just be a new printout that people can can access. So that's awesome. awesome. Exactly. And and therapists are kind of, are don't want to be continually buying new editions. So so this is the last one. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> is it really? No, we have to keep going. No, listen, you know, I wanted to add an area that we really expanded were we expanded our handwriting worksheets. So, you know, I know we keep looping back to handwriting, but we used to have one handwriting worksheet and now we've expanded it to handwriting A, B, and C so that you can have with a kindergartner who's starting to write, you would use A and then, you know, they progressively get more complicated. The sentence they have to copy harder. And then we're also looking for, um, you know, can they, if something's being dictated, can they write? And then also self-generation, you know, which as a school-based OT, it's really important to differentiate where the breakdown is in handwriting. You know, can they copy neatly? Great. Does the, does the breakdown happen when they have to self-generate, come up with the idea, access their short-term memory to spell, come up with the grammar. And so we want to analyze all of those things. And I think between the school's manual and the banded worksheets that we've made, it, it's very easy to say, aha, you know, the break, the, they're really falling apart when they have to, to self-generate, you know, and then what part of the self-generation is hard. And then, you know, as OTs, we're always asking ourselves why, okay, if they can copy neatly, why can't they self-generate? And then we start talking to the other team members. Um, if I can just share a quick story of a boy I assessed last week, it, he actually was a 10th grader who they, it was, okay, we need, his handwriting is bad. We need to call the OT. And so when I was talking to him, he could copy, everything was fine. He said, I can't take notes. And when I take notes, you know, because with a 10th grader, of course, I just ask him a lot of questions like what's hard, where is it hard? So it's hard when I take notes. Well, lo and behold, um, he has qualified. He's had an IEP for many years and it's a learning disability related to auditory processing. So, aha, he can't listen. Uh, and process, and then also take notes at the same time. So my recommendation was not that he needed OT because his visual motor skills were actually an area of strength. What did he need? Copies of class notes. So I think that's where Scoodles, you really can start digging into that information with real real examples rather than, you know, a bot is never going to tell you that. So anyway. Absolutely. That's a great example. I love it. And actually, I want to continue on with that. So there are some handwriting examples that you just gave. What other class? I think you you kind of referred to these, Maria, as the classroom skills. Um, what other classroom skills are are looked at within the Scoodles assessment? So we have puzzle skills, coloring, cutting, uh, draw person, and am I forgetting any, Monica? Yeah, we have uh, we have copy design, <laughs> <laughs> and the cutting. We actually have a graded cutting, so it starts with um, snipping on a straight line curved line, zigzag line, circle, square, and then we have our um, complex shape that is actually an adorable little fish. So I I will say that I like the bot, so I don't want your listeners to think that I am trashing the bot, but I will say if you give a child, especially a younger child, the picture of a cute fish and say, you want to cut this out or that page from the, the bot booklet where they always say, what am I making? Well, sorry, you're not really making anything. You're just cutting out a circle. So then <laughs> they always ask, should I cut out the square? No, don't cut out the square. But when you give them the fish, you know, as OTs, we always think about motivation. Well, little kids are more motivated to cut out a cute fish. So I have actually gotten a better cutting sample with the fish from Scoodles. It is a complex when a circle should have been easier for them, but there was nothing in the circle that engaged them. So anyway, and there are, there are, the fish is very interesting because they, they like to cut off the top fin, you know, that'll kind of go. And that, that will tell me like, okay, they couldn't turn that corner, make it up and over. So that gets snipped off. And, 
And then I'll look at, did they notice that they cut it off? Did they even see that that part was cut off? Or do they just keep going and say, hey, you know, great. So, so I get more information from the fish. So anyway, the cutting is broken down into many different steps. Um, and was that your question, Jason? Sorry. Yeah, basically. I mean, what are the different types of, of activities that we would see in the classroom that the schools assesses? And you kind of went through that. Um, some different cutting activities, handwriting, and you mentioned a few others. So great. And then going beyond that, earlier you kind of mentioned that you kind of look at the classroom skills, but then you also look at the skills needed. I think you called them the support skills. So how does the Schoodles then look at some of those support skills? Is it built into those classroom tasks? Is it a separate part of it? Or what does that look like? So great question. Uh, Those supporting skills are separated out. Um, You can do them in order or you can do them mix them in with the classroom skills to keep your your student energized and engaged but those so they're separate and so you're looking for for different things perhaps than than in the classroom skills so you're looking for motor planning strength balance those types of things with those supporting skills so we would do jumping jacks skipping hopping um, some balance tasks muscle testing actually which I had never seen done with with kids in the school system. I was never trained that way, but, but it was something that, that we added in that we find very helpful because you're getting your hands on the kids and feeling their muscles, some vision, visual tracking, some of those types of things. So lots of different little bits and pieces that you can glean information from and kind of make, create your story like Monica was talking about. Great. I love that. I always, I always tell therapists that our evaluations need to be top up top down. And I think what you're kind of explaining, you start with the classroom skills, which is your very top, your very observational. Can they actually do this activity? And then it kind of sounds like you get to more of those supporting skills. All right, now let's break it down. Let's find out what processing skills, what other skills are preventing or even um, providing the student with the capacity to access those, those upper level um, observ- not observations, but the classroom skills. That's a good term. I like that term, classroom skills. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Excellent. Excellent explanation, Jason. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and continue on. We've used the bot, so I'm going to kind of use this as an example. Oh, and I wanted to actually touch on that. I feel very similar, Monica, about the bot. I use the bot. However, I don't think it gives you those classroom skills that we were just talking about. And so absolutely, I think that the bot gives you a lot of information, but I don't know that it gives you the same type of information using the story we were just talking about. It gives you the processing skills potentially as opposed to those those higher classroom skills. So, all right, go ahead. Did you want to add to that, Monica? Yeah, I just think the, the way that I look at the bot, so this could be another uh, podcast for you that the bot... <laughs> score. Okay. It is more than a score. I mean, I'm watching, you know, how are they problem solving with the manual dexterity? How are they picking things up? How, you know, I'm not just looking at the score at the end, which often, you know, even like with the um, design copy, do they have poor closure because they have inattention and they just whipped through it so fast that, you know, they're just, you know, that isn't necessarily a visual, so visual motor delay, it's inattention. So, you know, the bot gives me a lot of information that Maybe I might not see all of that in Scoodles. And the, the district that I work within needs a standardized score. So I know not all school districts need that. Marie referenced a school district that is exclusively using Scoodles, but we need a standardized score. If I can't get it, I mean, I can say that the SPM or the sensory profile is a standardized score as part of my report. But but I think marrying the bot or even the VMI, but I actually prefer the bot, bot over the VMI with Scoodles to me is like, I feel like I'm done. I, I have, I do my observations, talk to the teacher, talk to the parent, and rarely am I stumped with what's going on here. I feel like that all those data sources, you know, we have to collect data from multiple sources. And once you've done all of that, you're, you're covered basically with information gathering. Absolutely. And you know what? One go more ahead, thing. For, oh, yep. go ahead. oh, the other piece of information gathering is I always look deep into the history, the IEP history. So. 
That's my last little piece there. Absolutely. No, that's exactly what I teach in my course is to start first with that reason for the referral and then get the information that you can gather from previous IEPs, IFSPs, other documents that you have access to. And then that next step is to start to doing those observations and, and figure out those classroom skills. So absolutely. All right. You actually just answered the next question, which I think was awesome about additional tools. <laughs> um, do you use additional tools? And I know you've already mentioned you'd like to use the bot potentially with it. Maybe you'll jump in there with the SPM or the sensory profile use, it sounded like. Uh, yes. Marie, did you want to add anything to to that? Are there other tools that you like to use along with the Scoodles? I mostly did not use the bot and use the VMI pretty much all the time. I liked those two mostly because I was getting so much information from Scoodles that I wanted something very short and easy that I could co corroborate with Scoodles and then use those scores, those standardized scores and talk to other service providers to see what they were getting in the, on their testing to see if it matched, to see if it was going along with what they were getting and if I was in the ballpark. So that's like actually what I did was... L loved the VMI. So <laughs> Monica and I diverge on our standardized testing choices, I guess. <laughs> That's A-OK. -okay. That's perfectly okay. fine. As OTs, we all get our own little creative license to, to find the tools that we think will suit us best. So that is perfectly exactly. fine. Yeah. All right. I, I want to kind of, uh, well, I obviously not wrap up. We still have plenty to talk about. But before we kind of move on to our next session or section, I guess I could say, what does the data collection look like for the Scoodles? Um, I think most therapists are very familiar with the bot, with the VMI. How does the collection of the data, are you marking down items as students complete stuff? Do you have to go back and look at the work samples to score? What does that look like? So we have, um, it's a clinical observation chart that actually I print them off um, and I'll just talk about how I how I use it. I print them off. I have it sitting there with me while I'm um, with the student. I do tell the student, you know, I'm going to write this down because I have kind of an old brain and this will help me remember later, which sadly is kind of true at this point. But I write, I write everything down. So I'm making notes as I go along. I will look at the work samples later, but mostly I am able to make all my notes while I'm assessing unless, you know, occasionally I'll have the student where you just have to move really quickly from thing to thing because you lose them if there's even a slight delay. So, so there really is, there isn't a score. It's all qualitative and it's the most of the things we're looking at, as we talked about before, Marie's really into research. And so she has done extensive research to find the typical age ranges for skill attainment for each area. So that's included in Scoodles. And so when you go to write your report, you may reference that chart. And Marie can talk a little bit more about the criterion reference, reference chart, but reference that chart to find out, are, are they where they should be? you know, matching their chronological age. So that's the data collection is in real time. And then later you can take the information that you have and compare it to the chart and see where what level your student is functioning at. Great. And Marie, do you kind of want to hop in there and talk a little bit about the criterion reference right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I believe we've got about 20 skills outlined on the criterion reference chart that we created. And I dug into every skill and uh, and found it's all it's all evidence-based information. I didn't include anything that wasn't on that chart. It wasn't you know me guessing on the ages. So so there are some things therefore that aren't on the chart um, because there wasn't any research that I could find on on that like muscle tone. We, we don't have that on there because there really isn't any qualitative or quantitative measurement for that or age levels of when you should have a certain kind of muscle tone. So maybe those types of things aren't on there, but there are, there are, I was surprised at how much I did find and then put that all together on one, in one place. Great. I, I love that because that means that you can go and you can do this assessment tool. And then like Monica was kind of referencing, you can basically have that, that quote unquote cheat sheet. I'm just going to call it, <laughs> criterion reference right there next to you and say, all right, well on the fish, 
this student was able to do this and this, but maybe they weren't able to, um, I'm just going to say, maybe they didn't use two hands effectively or something like that. And then they can kind of cross-reference that to your criterion reference sheet and say, okay, well, at age four, that's okay. But maybe at age five, they should have been able to better use both hands in order to cut around the fish. Exactly. about right? Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to ask one more question about testing, because I know this is something we all learned back in OT school, but it's something that I think we quickly forget, and that is standardized test and what is and what isn't a standardized test. Earlier, you did mention that this is not a standardized test. I think I heard that correctly, right? Yep, right. Mm -hmm. All right. So what makes a standardized test? How is this not a standardized test? And what are the benefits or or doubt? Doubtfuls? Did I say that right? <laughs> if there are any, yeah. To to not have okay. So a standardized tool are used to compare a student's performance to a normative sample population. So you get your standard score, you get a standard deviation, and you get percentile ranks. And this is often where you find the qualifying scores for special ed. You need standardized scores for that. But being a related service, we only need to show need. So we don't necessarily need to use a standard score according to IDA to, to be able to serve a child with, with the need. We just have to show that they need occupational therapy. So I found this description that I really liked. It's a standardized assessment seek to measure the measurable, while non-standardized tests measure student skills that are noticeable and maybe significant, but not, cannot be quantified. There you go. Yeah. I love <laughs> wow. that. Wow. So, isn't that great? So non-standardized tools are performance-based then, which is what Scoodles is. And the criterion referenced tools are a form of non-standardized assessment. And these are not designed to compare one child's performance to another. So this would be something like the Help or the Carolina. I don't know if you've used either of those, Jason. No, or I haven't. Teeny tinies. <laughs> so those those have a breakdown of different age levels where kids should be attaining and, and achieving their, their developmental skills. So this is very similar to that. And these types of criterion reference tools are more helpful in assessing functionality, which is what we're looking at with Scoodles. They are very helpful to measure progress. If you're in early intervention, you're constantly measuring progress and looking to see where, where the child is to see where you need to go, which is another way to use a criterion reference tool is to see what's, what, what they need to be doing next on that list. And then you can link um, when you see where they need to go, that's where you can get your goal. That's the next thing on the, on the checklist for, for what they need to be doing. So I think sometimes these criterion reference tools, because you can, you can vary the way you're wording the, the, the question, or you can change the amount of help you're giving, or you can change the type of toy that you might be offering, or the type of pen that you might be using, you, you, can, you can change things around a little bit to get the best performance out of the student and also find out what they could do if they had this kind of help or what they could do if they had this kind of scissors. So which you cannot do with a standardized test. So I guess that's, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, and you said, you know, you, you can use a different pen. And my my immediate, you know, reaction just, I got a picture of a red pencil in my head and everyone knows exactly <laughs> what that red pencil is. <laughs> you don't have to use a red pencil with this assessment. No. Um, you know what? Then I want to follow that up. Monica, you... This may even go with your question or where you were going with is when it comes to writing goals and measuring goals, how can you use the Scoodles in order to potentially measure goals that you're writing? I think that that it actually, because you've assessed function, like our goals are supposed to be written. What is the educational need? What is it that you're trying to help the child to achieve? in the classroom or in their school environment does it might not even be you know might be out on the playground or you know in a different area of the school but 
you know, the goals are not supposed to be the clinical sounding goals about increasing strength or range of motion. The goal should be related to the function within the school. So if you have work samples and you've collected data that that directly relates to the function of the child at the school, then your goal can be taken directly from that. And, you know, you can measure with percentages. So if you have a little little person who maybe can copy all of their capital letters, but from memory, they can only come up with five, you know, then your goal may be, will be able to, you know, in order to complete classroom work, X student will be able to write 20% of capital letters from memory on, you know, three out of four trials or, you know, so the goal is derived directly from what the student can do. Now, here's what's interesting as well about goal writing in, and I see this on the Facebook forums, you know, the OT's Facebook mm-hmm. forums, is that some school districts, there is not a separate goal for occupational therapy. I will say well, where I work, they want a separate goal. However, you can take your, imp- <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, not saying it's right or wrong, Marie, I'm just saying that's my job, okay? <laughs> I cannot show up without a goal. So, um, <laughs> so, um, and Marie was shaking her head now as, we were talking so, um, <laughs> but but at least you know you can take the information from schools and contribute to the goal if it's a, if it's a team that's writing the goal. So there's a lot of good good direct information to goal writing that you can get from schools. Yeah. yeah, I ended up sitting with teachers and writing goals with them because I was told not to write my own goals, and I thought, well, how do they know? <laughs> <laughs> How do they know what I want? So I would go and sit with the teacher and we would write the goal together so that it was their goal that I was supporting. Yeah. And if I can jump in and actually, I'm just going to do an example real quick. Monica just had a goal that she created out of thin air, which kudos to you for being able to pull a goal out of thin air while on the (laughs) podcast on the spot. She had a goal of, you know, trying to increase maybe a student from being able to write from their own just from memory, basically, from move from five capital letters out of thin air to maybe 20%, which what 20%, I'm going to guess is somewhere around like eight to 10 <laughs> letters, capital letters. I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. But anyways, maybe we're trying to double the amount of capital letters that they wanted, they want to be able to, to formulate, right? Well, now I think Marie, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might say, well, I'm going to go talk to that teacher and we're going to say, hey, the student is going to start every sentence with a capital letter in 20 to 40% of their sentences. Mm-hmm. And that is now a teacher and an OT goal. Am I exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Perfect, Jason. Yep, exactly. It would, it might, it, it often did look completely different than what I had in my mind because it, it, it fit better and it did fit better with the, with what they were trying to do in the classroom, which is what we want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I've struggled with the same that same idea of whether we have to have our own goal, whether we can be on a teacher's goal. And I have most commonly found that it really depends on the teacher Mm -hmm. and depends on the IEP team and depends how they want to do it. And you have to be flexible and be able to kind of go both ways and work with the team to kind of make a, make an IEP come together. So Mm -hmm. definitely. All right. Well, we're going to kind of get to the final few questions. We can wrap it up. We've been having so much fun. Time's been flying by telehealth. Obviously, right now we are kind of getting to the tail end of the pandemic. People are starting to go back to school. I will, the the time that I did try the assessment, I kind of mentioned that earlier. It was over a telehealth model. Maybe I should have asked you this before I did it over telehealth model, but can the scoodles be used over a telehealth model? Does it look different? Does it look similar? What have you found? So I have been using it um, over the past year uh, remotely. So we have, we do send a package of the student workbook to the student ahead of time. And what we do is we send um, a little pair of scissors and pencils and crayons because a lot of the students I work with are low resource. And so we want to make sure they have everything. We do have to most often have to have an e-helper. So ahead of time, we talked, uh, there has to be a parent sitting there helping. We'll interview the um, e-helper ahead of time. And usually it's a parent. So it's a good time to both get your interview questions in and then just let them know what to expect on the assessment. 
typically they've gone well. The students that have a harder time are, um, for me, I, it's very hard to manage behavior through a screen. So, you know, it's hard to control your materials through a screen. And so, but it has worked well. We've figured it out. When, when the pandemic happened, we actually interviewed some telehealth OTs and asked them what they needed. And they gave us some good ideas. What they needed was videos of us doing visual motor, the, the fine motor coordination. So they weren't having to demonstrate it and watch the child at the same time. A part of the online membership of Scoodles is actually videos of me going through all the fine motor, you know, look at me, copy what I'm doing. And so the therapist can just play the video and then the student will be watching the video. And then you know, the, the evaluator can then watch the student um, and get your data that way. So, um, so it has been pretty effective. Um, and the, the thing about Scoodles with telehealth is I will have the student hold up their work sample to the screen. And as long as they, you've probably done this, Jason, as long as they hold it steady, I can print screen and get a good picture of it. Um, they hold it in the right place and hold it steady. Um, if I do do the bot, which I've done re remotely, if it's only verbal directions, the VMI, the bot, uh, but I have to get those protocols back. So we have a mechanism to get them back. But with Scoodles, you don't necessarily, because you're not scoring it, you don't necessarily have to get the actual test materials back. Yeah. I often have my parents try and scan it with their phone and email it to me or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you can do the print. If, as long as the kid knows how to use, how to get the camera in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, the things you see when the kid tries to put the paper up to the, up to the camera. <laughs> Somebody should record our directions. Okay, back it up. Okay, now put it down. <laughs> okay, now hold it real still. Okay. Right. And then also, I mean, how many times have you asked to see the kids work? And then like, you can't see anything because they used a pencil and like, it's just, it's just too light. Like, unless they're using a dark crayon or something, it's just, you can't see it anyways. Yeah. But, yeah. Definite challenges with that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I will say I prefer in-person occupational therapy. I, yeah. I just do. <laughs> any arguments from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to anyone who's doing very well and enjoying the yeah. <laughs> process and making it work because it is tricky. I know I get comments on social media every day from people who are saying it's hard. I'm, I'm right there. Very with you. hard. It's hard. Yeah, very hard. All right. So I have two more questions for you. We're going to wrap this up. The first one is for anyone who is listening right now, maybe maybe they've never had access to the Scoodles and they go to their school district or maybe they're even just going to go buy it themselves. And it comes in the mail day one. What is your recommendation that they start with first? If they just got the scoodles in the mail, what should what should they do first? I would highly recommend going through the manual. It's not very long. It's a it's a pretty quick read and it it outlines each skill that you're going to be looking at and what to look for while you're with the student. So that would be, it's not long. It's not like you're reading a textbook. It, it goes pretty quick. And we've tried to make it like, you know, just the facts, you know, just we're not going on and on and on about information. It's like, this is what you're looking for. This is why. And next. So that would be the um, first. And then step two, dig in. You know, the, we have a penguin to color. We have a fish to cut out. I mean, the kids love it. You're not going to go wrong. You know, I think we get all nervous with these standardized tests, especially the ones that you have to say things in a certain way. That is not Scoodles. You just, you can just bring your crayons, your pencil, your scissors, and have some fun with it with the kids. I love it. Marie, did you want to add anything to that? No, I loved what she just said. Just, <laughs> you know, don't don't be nervous about it and just try, even if you just try a small part of it and and get you get information from that. And then you try, you know, add a little bit more the next time and add a little bit more the next time to your comfort level. That that and then you know, always you can always email us. We answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Or, or anything like that. We love to talk to other therapists. It's really fun for us. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it. you can email Monica at Scoodles or Marie at Scoodles. Um, if you want a research driven response, go to Marie. <laughs> 
she's been with babies. I've been with K through 12. So if you have a question more to do with K through 12, well, Marino's K through 12 too. But if you have a question with more older students, you can, um, Monica at Scoodles. All right. Sorry. I, I, the way that this podcast works is that I come up with questions on the fly based upon what I hear. And so I haven't asked you any questions, Marie, about research. And Monica has been throwing it out all day long that you love research. So I'm going to ask you, like, what is your relationship with research? Have you done research? Do you just love reading it? Are you doing research on the Scoodles? Oh, that's a, such a good question. I think I just want it to be correct. I just want it to be I am, I am such a science nerd. I want everything to have evidence. <laughs> and so I don't want to be putting things out there that aren't correct and true and, and, and have science behind it. That that's just the way I am. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And that definitely goes with that criterion tool that you've talked about earlier. You went yeah. through and found all the research and, and put it on paper. So that's great. Awesome. All right. Well, you mentioned your emails, Monica at Scoodles and Marie at Scoodles. Where can anyone get more information about the Scoodles really quickly if they want to find out more? You can go to uh, our website, scoodles.com. There's information there about purchasing either the hard copy of Scoodles or the membership. There's also information if your school district uh, has a PO or you want a group memberships, uh, group group pricing. It's all there on the website, scoodles.com. And just because I know it's easy to do and I did it earlier, that's S C H O O D L E S dot com. All righty. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Monica, so much for coming on the show. It has truly been a fun experience and a um, knowledgeable one. Right. Thank yeah. you, Jason. Thank you. Thank Take you, care. Jason. And have a, a delight. <laughs> Thank you. You guys make my job easy, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care and have a great rest of your Sunday. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And that is how we are wrapping up the OT Schoolhouse podcast today. Thank you again so much to Marie and Monica for coming on and sharing all that information with us about the Scoodles and just about assessments in general. So much of what they said was appropriate no matter what assessment tool you use. Whether you're using the Scoodles, the Bot, the VMI, or any other tool, assessments are still assessments, and they take a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of skills from the occupational therapist to have a good assessment. And with that, thank you one more time so much for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast this time and every time that you listen. Really appreciate it. I'd also really appreciate if you took a moment to leave me a review down in the comments on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help me to grow this podcast to make it better for you and every other occupational therapy practitioner that listens in at any time. Thank you so much for taking the time to learn with me today, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.